Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name. I thank you and I praise you for the ways that you take care of us and love us, that you bless us. Lord, I ask that you would grant to all of those who are listening, grant us all, Lord, a desire to prepare for the reception of the Holy Spirit, the release and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in a new and fresh way. Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you dwell within us as in a temple. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless us today with a new and fresh expectant faith for the coming of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's dive right in. Do you have a favorite feast day? Is there a feast day in the life of the church that you have a special, I don't know, a warmth, connection, devotion, uh, uh, special memories, right? And, and, and I know that it's super easy just to simply say Easter and Christmas. So let's take them out. <laughs> and let's even take out the triduum, okay? Um, and so I, I know I, I'm kind of cherry picking here a little bit, but apart from those very, very special highest of holy days, is there a feast in the life of the church, a solemnity in the life of the church that you have a particular draw towards or has a meaningful connection to your life? Like, for instance, I wouldn't put this first, but pretty high up on my list is All Saints Day. Yeah, November 1st, All Saints Day. And it's got nothing to do with Halloween. All Saints Day, it has to do with a very special event that happened in my spiritual life on All Saints Day. It's actually connected to the uh, feast day that is the one that I look forward to um, with the greatest sense of, let's say, anticipation. And, and that's Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. So that's coming up. It's nine days from now. Okay, let me say that again out loud. Nine days from now. <laughs> so what am I talking about? I'm talking about the first novena. So today in the program, I am going to dive into this idea of a novena to the Holy Spirit, but I want to keep it framed in the light of uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit helping us to fulfill our call in marriage and in family life. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. There are demonic spirits that will attempt to uh, wheedle their way in, find weak spots, and they know our weak spots, and they'll attempt to get in, to undermine and overthrow, to weaken and to divide, to foster uh, evil thoughts, words, and deeds, uh, to trip us up. And God doesn't leave us orphaned. And God, you know, God the Father has, has granted us the, the great gift of angels, mighty angels, mighty guardians for us as individuals. Every one of us, you have a guardian angel. But what does that mean to you? That you have a guardian angel, a created spirit that is assigned to accompany you, to guide and aid and and strengthen you, and clear away obstacles, and help move you towards heaven, protect you from harm and danger. Do we have that awareness? And so angels and demons battling it out for your soul, for your marriage, for your family. Whoa, that's, that's the world that we're living in. That's the world that was created, and, and we find ourselves in. But that's not the only power that is, is in our lives. There is the power of God granted to us in baptism. In baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, to elevate us, 
not not only, yes, yes, of course, to wash away original sin and any personal sins, yes, of course, that, to make us members of the church, the body of Christ, the people of God, but also the temple of the Holy Spirit. These are all ways of referring to the reality of the church. And we, members of the, of the church, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the person of God himself, the gift of God, the one who is love in God, who is poured forth into our lives in baptism to elevate us so that we can cry out to God as Father, Abba, because we have been recreated, not just created, but recreated, elevated in such a way that we share in divinity. <clears throat> we share in God's own divine life. God's divine life lives in us. And that's why we're different. That's why the baptized, that's why the, those that are in vital connection to Jesus Christ, the head of the church, that there's something different. There ought to be something different, something radiant in a baptized believer's life. We will manifest something of God's own light and life, something of God's own presence into this world that that's, makes us different, fundamentally different, more different than your race, more different than your gender, more different than what your favorite sports team is, <laughs> cultural background, other factors that are in your life. You get right down to it, the most fundamental difference that exists between human beings on earth, the, the, the most profound difference that exists are between the baptized and the unbaptized. The unbaptized are creatures of God that can refer to God as father in a generic sense, father as creator of the world. But the baptized have been elevated into the status of a new creation and share in God's own divine life. Do we realize what we've been given when we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit? I talked about this a couple days ago. If you listen to my program, what was I talking about? Running out of gas, the screen not uh, the computer screen not plugged in, Right? Not, no, 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 the soundboard, not plugged in, didn't have power. But God didn't, God didn't give us this call to be salt, light, and leaven in the world without giving us the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, Tom, I've been baptized and I've been confirmed. So what's the big deal about Pentecost Sunday for me? And you mentioned the novena to the Holy Spirit, why is that even a thing for someone like me? I'm already baptized. I'm already confirmed. What more is there? Well, I'm glad you've asked. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So the uh, great Pope Leo XIII, Pope for a couple of decades at the end of the, the 20th century, uh, no, no, sorry, the end of the 19th century, into the early 20th century, uh, before uh, Pius the, the Tenth, he, uh, he wrote, not only did he write a, a bunch of encyclicals, like he wrote something like 11 encyclicals on the rosary, if you can believe it. Like, how do you write 11 encyclicals on the rosary? And had some profound things to say about the rosary. Well, you figure, if he's going to write 11 encyclicals about it, he's, you know, going to have something to say. And, and oh, by the way, just in passing, in one of those encyclicals, he said that the praying the rosary is an antidote to the three scourges that were coming against the church and the world in his time. Oh, no, especially the church, sorry, believers. And the, the first was an unwillingness to, uh, to find joy in your daily duties, that there was this uh, desire to avoid one's own state in life, the situation in life, and to find in that state in life uh, the, the journey to holiness. The second was 
an avoidance, a repulsion and horror of suffering that I just don't want to suffer. I would rather have a comfortable, easy life. And then the last one was a forgetfulness of eternal life, a forgetfulness of the fact that heaven is our true home. And he said, these three scourges, guess what, have a solution in the rosary. Now, of course, you'll remember that at that time, the rosary was made up of 15 decades, three sets of mysteries. And he was associating the three errors that were holding back the life of believers with the different uh, sets of mysteries. So our unwillingness to find joy in our state in life, to, to embrace the difficult good of the even sometimes drudgery of our state in life, well, pray the joyful mysteries. And there you'll see the daily life events drawn from the, the life of the Blessed Mother in particular and of Jesus with the Annunciation, Visitation, Birth of Jesus, Presentation, and Finding of the Child Jesus in the Temple. These are all mysteries connected to daily life, especially in the life of the Blessed Mother. And end of St. Joseph as well. And so you have family life in, in finding, finding joy in your duties there, even difficult goods. Right? Goods that, are, that we're drawn to because they're good, but we're repulsed by because they're difficult. And so step up, man up, let's go. The second is a horror of suffering. Well, if you want to overcome your repulsion towards suffering, pray the sorrowful mysteries. As you walk with Jesus through the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion, you pray and meditate on those mysteries, and guess what? There'll be a lessening of this horror of suffering. And then lastly, we forget eternal life. We forget where we're headed. We forget what all of this is all about. Well, pray the glorious mysteries, and the, those mysteries will point you towards heaven, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, the assumption of our Blessed Mother and coronation of uh, Mary as Queen of Heaven and Earth. These are mysteries that we reflect on them. They lift our eyes beyond the world, beyond time, beyond history, and point us to heaven as our true goal. And so, uh, by the way, that was a little diversion <laughs> away from the path. Uh, well, I was talking about Leo the Thirteenth, and he wrote all of these encyclicals about the Blessed Mother and the Rosary. Well, the Lord was like, you know, you're forgetting about the spouse of the Holy Spirit. I want some, I want some, I want a message to go out about devotion to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I want to unleash my Holy Spirit upon the 20th century in order to combat the devil and the demonic. And so the Lord sent a sister. Her name was uh, Elena Guerra, an Italian sister who lived in central Italy near Pisa. And she was sickly for a time. And the Lord started to speak to her, give her messages and the Lord said to her, you got to tell the Pope, he's not, I'm not getting through to him. So you're my messenger now. We are in a battle. We are in a war. And you need to tell the Pope to write and speak about the Holy Spirit, about devotion to the Holy Spirit, and about pursuing a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so she started to write letters and wasn't getting through. So she went to visit him. <laughs> How about that? A nun just shows up in Rome and is like, the Lord sent me here to let you know that you need to do more to talk about the Holy Spirit. So he did a Wednesday audience and spoke a message about the Holy Spirit. And the Lord started going after Blessed Elena, the sister, Elena Guerra, and said, not enough. Tell him I want more. Tell the Pope he's got to do more. And so she went and wrote the Pope and then went and visited him again. And it was like, you need to do more. And so he wrote an encyclical. He wrote an encyclical. Like, again, that's the highest form of papal teaching that ordinarily that will happen in the life of a Pope, apart from a solemn definition of some dogma, uh, you know, an ex cathedra teaching that is, is proclaimed. An encyclical well, is the, the, the standard highest form of teaching 
So he writes an encyclical on the Holy Spirit. And in that encyclical, he says something amazing. What does he say? Well, I'll tell you about it in a minute. That's on insight. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Okay, I'm telling you a story about Pope uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth and the Holy Spirit and an encyclical and all this. But believe it or not, this is connected to your life as a married person, as a married man, as a married woman, in your life as a husband, a father. Your it it has to do with you coming into contact with the power of God to be unleashed in your family life in a way that you've never seen before, to have gifts and graces, anointing flowing upon your life that you have yet to experience, that this is what awaits you. Okay, is that enough? Is that enough to grab your attention? That's what I'm going to talk about. And it's not me making this stuff up, okay? This is me bringing you the teaching of the church, bringing you the teaching of scriptures, bringing you what I have seen with my own eyes come alive. And that has to do with a deeper devotion and experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, devotion to the Holy Spirit, a release and empowerment by the Holy Spirit, and a deeper yielding to the Holy Spirit to transform your life, your marriage, and your family. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about transformative power the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. And let's finish up the story with Leo XIII. So Leo XIII writes this encyclical about the Holy Spirit. It's worth reading. It's not difficult to remember the name. It's On the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's called On the Holy Spirit, okay? And it's not that long, but he gets into uh, the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the way in which we are, members of the church, have inherited the Holy Spirit. And in a very special way that was made manifest at Pentecost. And he points then, in the encyclical, to the days between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday. And those days, beginning today, brothers and sisters, day one of the novena to the Holy Spirit. You got this. You got this. Nine days, beginning today. Yesterday was the traditional day of the ascension. Jesus ascends to heaven, and he says, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the ends of the earth, but not until, not before, the Holy Spirit comes. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. And and sure enough, that's what happens. Remember now, they're in the upper room, and they are afraid. They are hiding. And in the days between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday, those nine days, what are they doing? They are vigiling. They are on vigil, on watch. They are praying with confidence and expectancy for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And remember, Jesus did not say, pray for nine days and then I'm coming. He didn't say, pray until Pentecost Sunday happens and then watch out, something big is going to happen. didn't say any of that. He said, pray and wait, wait and pray. Pray and wait. And that time of vigiling lasted for nine days. And then the Holy Spirit came. And so this whole tradition in, uh, in devotional practice in, in the Catholic world of novenas are in some ways always traced back to the novena to the Holy Spirit. The first novena. John Paul II said that somewhere. I'm trying to remember where. That whatever else a novena is, novena to the little flower, novena to St. Joseph, a novena to take your pick, Our Lady of Perpetual Help, all of these novenas are traced back to the fundamental first novena. The novena to the nine days, novena, nine, 
the novena to the Holy Spirit, where we look with expectant faith and we are on vigil. When you're vigilant, you're praying for the coming of the Spirit. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. There, It's not difficult to find a novena to the Holy Spirit. Go into your favorite search engine and type in novena to the Holy Spirit. And EWTN has the traditional novena to the Holy Spirit. It's the one that, um, that we pray uh, and the one that I've prayed for, goodness, uh, 35, 40? Long time, over 35 years. A novena to the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry, I, I, I'm jumping ahead here. So Leo XIII says, pray a novena to the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just say, you know, I, I, I just want to propose that you all can discern if this is a good idea for you. No. <laughs> he commands as Pope in an encyclical from this year and every year from this year on in every diocese. No, 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 no. Sorry. Not every diocese. In every parish once a decade. No, no, no. I meant sorry. In every parish Every year, from this year forward, you are to do a communal service of a novena to the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? That's a pope commanding, not suggesting, commanding. Not in one parish, not in several, not in many, every parish, not one year, every year, a novena to the Holy Spirit. Why? He was convicted about something. He had this conviction inside of him that the Lord had impressed upon his heart and his mind that there was something happening in the life of the church whereby we needed to pray as a church, a novena to the Holy Spirit, to pray for a deeper unleashing, outpouring, a deeper empowerment, a deeper anointing, a deeper sense of gifts being distributed a different, a, a whole new level of power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church. And that means in our lives. And this goes back to that message that I gave a couple of days ago. We too often, as Catholics, are wandering around the duties of our daily life, dealing with suffering and trying to keep our eyes on heaven and continually get distracted and diverted away. But we're doing it without the power that God has granted to us as an inheritance. The power of God that, who is that live within us, the Holy Spirit, has already been lavished upon you in baptism and in confirmation. So why is the Pope saying this? Why is the Pope saying we need to pray a novena to the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look at the life of a saint to get some guidance. Now, this saint lived several hundred years before Leo Thirteenth, His name, Philip Neri. St. Philip Neri. He was a layman, and he was 39 years old. So he was, you know, a good Catholic man, and he was, guess what, vigiling in the catacombs in Rome on the days leading up to Pentecost. And so, to understand the context here, 1543, I think it was, uh, in, in that year, that's the time of the Catholic Counter-Reformation, right? So, you had Luther and Zwingli at this point, and Calvin is coming on the scene, and the Catholic Church is starting to stir a response. And the Lord responds to challenges like this by raising up saints. And one of the saints he raised up was St. Philip Neri. And how did he raise up this saint? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. In such a powerful, special way. I'm sure you've heard the story. I won't go into it um, with, much, uh, with, with any real detail except to say that he was praying for hours every night on vigil, vigiling for hours Night after night, after night, after night, leading up to Pentecost. He was doing his own novena. 
a personal private novena to the Holy Spirit in the catacombs. What are the catacombs? Right? It's the, it's the burial ground of believers. And it wasn't as if he had to hide out of a sense of fear of persecution. No, he was praying there out of a sense of devotion, wanting to stay connected to the early martyrs of the church and to keep his eyes focused on, really, this life is passing and passing quickly. And so, after praying, on now on Pentecost night, on the, on, the, on the eve of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. The Lord responds and answers his prayer. And you might remember the story. It comes like a ball of flame, comes down into the catacombs, lightens, lights the place up, comes towards him, and enters his mouth. I was wondering how that happened. But this ball of flame enters his mouth, settles down into his chest, into his heart. And his heart... He becomes like just on fire and not, not literally, but just like inflamed with this sense of divinity of God's presence and power that was like a holy fire, the fire of God settling into his chest and his, in his heart and his heart began to beat wildly and he fell to the ground and was rolling around and he was crying out, relent, relent. You know, we don't hear that word a lot. Back off. It's too much. It's too much. God answered his prayer in a too much way. It was too much. And boy, if we could only experience the too muchness of God, right? That that fire of God that settled into his chest and cracked his ribs, cracked his ribs, and and they ended up healing in an enlarged state the cavity in which his heart lived had enlarged because his heart, they found out after death, was larger than normal. And the effect, the ultimate lasting effect of his, this power of the Holy Spirit alive in him and flaming his heart would be that his followers, he ended up starting a religious community, and the, the followers, the disciples, lay people and others that came to follow him, uh, the story goes that if they were, you know, disturbed, troubled, confused, or tempted, they would come to him, and all he had to do was to draw them close to his heart, and that the warmth that came forth from that heart would overflow them and would wash away the troubles, bring clarity to the mind, would strengthen their resolve, and would give them victory over temptations just because of the, the the presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work radiating forth from him. You want in on that? Do you want in on that? I hope so. Uh, my son, John Luke, he's going to be confirmed along with my daughter, Annalise, in just a couple of weeks. And uh, they had to pick their confirmation name. And last week, John Luke told me, ta-da, yes, indeed, he picked St. Philip Neri. And I just love that. He picked Philip Neri because he knew the story about the Holy Spirit, but it was more the effect that St. Philip Neri was this bold, joyful evangelist that when the Holy Spirit came on him, he could not and would not be stopped. And so he joyfully would parade through the streets of Rome with his followers, singing and performing beautiful music, and they would lead the following crowd right up into the church, and then he would preach. Let's go, right? So, my brothers and sisters, if we're held back in our life of faith in our home, we might just think, gosh, we need to try harder. We need to try a new tactic. We need to employ a different strategy. And all too often are relying on our own human strength. But if instead we were to take the risk of letting the power of God be at work in what we're doing, to allow the gift of the Holy Spirit to be more prominent in fulfilling the call of our families and in in the call of our married lives to become saints, to make saints, and to fulfill our God-given mission— 
we discovered that the power of God does so much more to wash away blockages, to blast through roadblocks, to sever uh, uh, bad attitudes and, and, and other things that are just uh, terrible uh, darknesses and, and burdens in our, in our lives of faith. The power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God's Holy Spirit will come upon you, will come upon your spouse, and, and will heal and reconcile, will restore, will bring new life. Believe me. Don't believe me. Believe the saints. Believe Jesus. Believe the scriptures. Believe Pope Leo Thirteenth. Undergo, undertake, it's not that big a deal, a novena to the Holy Spirit. Start today. You got this. Start today, and then watch what God will do. Give the Lord some space, and watch what God will do. You remember Pope Leo XIII, he was that same Pope, while celebrating Mass, froze, and was as if he was caught up in, in to some otherworldly moment. And you remember the story that after that Mass, he went and he wrote something down. It was the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. And he heard Christ and the devil talking, and the devil asking him for a century. And if, if he gave him the 20th century, that he would conquer the church. And Jesus said, I give you the 20th century, but I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. Let's talk more about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carr. It's great to be with you. Okay, so power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is destined for your life. Believe me. Believe it. Believe what the Pope says. Uh, be willing to, to take that time. Again, just Google Novena to the Holy Spirit. Just Google it. Look for the EWTN link, EWTN.com link. Uh, you could probably just even go directly there and just look up prayers and novenas and just print it out. You can just print it out. You can do this. And it's not that hard to pray. It's not that long, right? So there's a reflection on every day. There's a prayer that you pray every day for the, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. On most of the days, you're actually reflecting on one of the the uh, sevenfold gifts, one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that's also poured out upon our lives and our confirmation. And, and actually, he here's where we're headed. Why, why is this such a big deal? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit upon the 20th century. And if you discern and you take a look and you say, well, where did that happen? And when did that happen? This is, this is for a longer day, but you have... Uh, really noteworthy Catholic theologians who will follow the trail of what happened when Pope Leo XIII, on the eve of the new millennium, December the 31st, in the year 1900, as they're entering the, uh, the new century, not the new millennium, sorry, the new century, he sang and prayed the come Holy Spirit, and prayed for the coming of the Holy Spirit, not just upon them in that moment, but upon the 20th century. He knew that there was a battle that was about to ensue, a battle for that century. And Jesus was going to pour forth upon this century the power of the Holy Spirit. And there'd be a manifestation of Pentecost, the power of Pentecost in a fresh, new, even surprising way. And so the next morning, you had an eruption of the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit happening, not at the Vatican, maybe it happened there, but where it became known was in Topeka, Kansas. In this little church, all of a sudden, these people experienced what they ended up referring to as a a coming of the Holy Spirit, like at Pentecost, and you had the gifts of the Spirit be made manifest in a way that surprised them, in a way that was like astonishing to them. And then you can follow this trail of the coming of the Holy Spirit falling upon bodies of Christian believers through the century, uh, culminating all the way 
two-thirds of the way through in 1967 in Duquesne University at a retreat house for some students at Duquesne, the Ark and the Dove Retreat House, you had uh, some college students and, and a few older folks uh, reading The Cross and the Switchblade as the basis of a retreat. And in that book, uh, David Wilkerson talks about, has a whole chapter on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then on Saturday night, one at a time, they came down to the chapel and began to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then that led to this spread of the the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church around the world. And, and by pure numbers, it's the largest movement in, in the Catholic Church today. Uh, there are arguably somewhere between 60 and 100 million Catholics. That's like over 10, um, uh, between say 5 and 10% of all Catholics have been touched by the Catholic charismatic renewal. That's a large number of Catholics. And when you talk about the difference that it makes, I know the difference that it's made in my life. It's the grace of Pentecost come alive. Now, the grace of Pentecost, you're like, Tom, how did you share in the grace of Pentecost? Because what happens at Pentecost, right? They're praying and waiting for nine days, and then Pentecost Sunday comes, the Holy Spirit falls, there's the flame, there's the wind, there is the transformation from fear-filled hiding to fearless proclaiming. And so they go out and they start proclaiming Jesus Christ in power, with new courage, and with giftings and anointings, with signs and wonders and deeds of power. The apostles would not, could not be stopped. And not just them, but others who experienced this same outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus had prophesied, so the promise of the Father, the promised one, the advocate, fell upon them. What about us? 2,000 years later, what about us? How do we get in on that? How do we get connected to the gift and event of Pentecost Sunday? And the answer is, what the church teaches is that happens to you and to me in confirmation. Confirmation is, as it were, your participation in the grace and the event of Pentecost. Read the Catechism, paragraph 1301, 1302, 1303. You'll see in that section of the Catechism, in the teaching on the Sacrament of Confirmation, Confirmation is, as it were, our participation in the grace of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. It's your personal Pentecost. And that's how we talk about it in our house. It's what we teach our kids. Kids, do you realize what's about to happen to you? Let's read Acts chapter 2. Let's read Acts chapter 1 and 2. And, and then to realize we want you to be expectant. We want you to have a sense of expectant faith that when you go up there and, and the bishop prays the prayer of the descent of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then you go forward and you get anointed by the, by the bishop, uh, at, at your confirmation that there'll be a special impartation, a special giving over of the Holy Spirit into your life to release you to fulfill God's call for your life. Now, you have a call. You have a call. And, and that call is connected to your state in life and the duties of your state in life. And so for most of the people listening, it's husband and father. Now, many of you, it's also grandparents and maybe even great-grandparents. Some of you are single and discerning priesthood or religious life. Beautiful. Whatever the call, God, the Father, and the Son has destined an impartation of the Holy Spirit to empower you to respond to the call that he has for your life. Now, wait a minute. You say, Tom, wait a minute. I was confirmed, did not look like Pentecost. I was confirmed, did not feel like Pentecost. Don't remember the fire don't remember the wind, certainly don't remember a sense of bold proclamation, courageous going forth, somehow connected to that event. What happened? Did it not work in my case? Is this a sign that maybe confirmation isn't what the church claims it's supposed to be? 
this connection to Pentecost because when I take a look at the majority of kids that I see going through confirmation, not seeing the change, well, let's just say, are the kids expecting? Have the kids been formed? Are the kids approaching Pentecost, uh, confirmation as their personal Pentecost? Sadly, sadly, that teaching has not been widely transmitted or communicated. The kids are not typically approaching their confirmation as an initiation into a whole new way of life because Pentecost is about to erupt in their lives. For most, I shouldn't say most, for a lot, it's graduation. Check in the box. Now I'm done. Leave me alone, mom and dad. I got confirmed. I did what you wanted. So it's drudgery. It's reluctance. It's getting the box checked. Or it's just, oh, this is what we're covering in the youth group. And now it's time to be confirmed, I guess. Now that's really sad. But we don't have to settle for that. And if that is representative of our experience of confirmation, we don't have to settle for that. There's more for us. And how do we how do we get access to that more? Well, that's why we pray the novena to the Holy Spirit. In this novena to the Holy Spirit, you can do what St. Philip Neri did. I'm not saying a ball of fire is coming in nine days, but I'm not saying a ball of fire is not coming in nine days. <laughs> That's between you and God. And I'm not saying God's not ready, right? I know God is able. And God just might, in fact, be ready. In fact, you really want to get in on that? Then I encourage you to ask St. Philip Neri to pray for you. Ask for his intercession. I love St. Philip Neri. I love asking for his intercession and praying for me to experience a deeper, here's the phrase, a deeper release and empowerment of the Holy Spirit already given to me in baptism and in confirmation. Be released within me, O Holy Spirit of God. Release within me. I yield to you completely. Come, Holy Spirit, impart in my life gifts in accord with your lavish generosity. Let me talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you. So talking about the Holy Spirit, boy, you know, it's like this is the difference maker, right? This is the difference maker in our family lives. If you're struggling to, to be a, a good husband, a loving husband, right? Uh, because life's going to be hard. In a, sorry, in a loving wife, right? I'm just not picking on wives, and I'm not certainly not picking on husbands, but um, you will. It's not weather, but if you're married, you will experience trials and difficulties. You will experience crosses. Some of these crosses could endure for an awful long time, awfully long time. God does not intend for you to, to uh, face those challenges and carry those crosses without his power. The Holy Spirit has already been given to you. And so what am I talking about with releasing the Holy Spirit? How is the Holy Spirit bound up? What is that all about? How is that even a thing? It's Thomas Aquinas. It's not only Thomas Aquinas, but it's also in Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas discusses and distinguishes between the sacraments. And one of the ways he distinguishes them, he says that there are graces given in some sacraments our grace is offered in some sacraments, and the grace is offered in the moment, and if you're not receptive in the moment, you lose out. It's gone forever, like receiving Holy Communion, right? If you're not in a state of grace, if you don't have expectant faith, if you don't come with a deep yearning and longing, then, in fact, you won't receive all that the Lord may have been ready to give or was ready and willing to give in that moment, and it's not on Him. And if you're not in a state in grace, a state of grace, you receive Holy Communion, it is not bringing you to life. So there's something dramatic about the grace given in Holy Communion. Now he distinguishes that from the grace given in Confirmation. He said that 
The grace that is given in confirmation is given. It's given to us when we faithfully walk through the ritual. And we faithfully go through the ritual of being confirmed. The grace is given. But is the grace having the effect that the giver intended when the gift was given? And the answer is no. It, the analogy I love to use, you may have heard it before if you've listened to this program, is you go to a birthday party and the kid's receiving a lot of gifts and the, the kid gets several gifts that he are beautifully wrapped and he says, thank you so much. I love this gift. I love the wrapping. And he takes the gift and he puts it in the closet. Puts several gifts into the closet and leaves them there. Now, let's ask simple questions. Were gifts given? Yes. You, you can identify the giver. You can see the gift right there. Were the gifts received? Yes, they were received. Now, were the gifts or are the gifts having the effect that the giver intended when the giver gave the gifts? And that answer is no. Because the gifts have been left unopened and are simply put into a closet. So the recipient doesn't even know what's inside those gifts. The recipient may not even have been aware of the fact that, oh, you know, at that party, there were a bunch more gifts that were given to you. You went to the party, you enjoyed yourself, but you missed out on the fact that there were a whole bunch of gifts that were given and they're in the closet. They're put into, into, the, into the garage. You've never even opened them. You're not even aware that they're there. That's like confirmation. The Lord lavished upon us great gifts, great gifts. And we are wandering around our life of faith, not even realizing what the Lord has given to us. And so we can pray. We ought to pray for a deeper release, a complete release, a fuller release of the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can more faithfully, courageously, powerfully fulfill our call. Do you want to fulfill your call? As a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, as a disciple of the Lord in your workplace, going forth and fulfilling the mission that he has for you, do not do that without the power that he has provided. He's already given it to you, but you haven't yet experienced the gift of Pentecost. So pray for it. And if you have experienced the gift of Pentecost come alive in you, do you know what you'll want to do? Keep praying for it. I mentioned at the very beginning of the program, one of my favorite feast days is the Feast of All Saints Day. It was on All Saints Day in 1984 that I went from the beautiful uh, All Saints Day Mass happening at the Cathedral of the Holy Cross in Boston. I went to a young adult prayer group afterwards with some friends of mine. And uh, one of my brothers, my dearest friends, a couple other seminarians, we went to the young adult prayer group and the priest prayed with us for the deeper release and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He prayed that the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be released within us, that we would experience a personal Pentecost. Now, this was in the, concept, in the context of a Catholic charismatic renewal prayer meeting, and the context was praying for the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Baptism means to be immersed, right? This Jesus uh, John the Baptist said, hey, look, I'm not, unwor I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That happened at Pentecost. So when we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are praying for a release of the Holy Spirit already given at confirmation. We're praying for a new, fresh anointing, that sense of spiritual power, intimacy, connection, that idea of moving with the Holy Spirit this is available to you. But let me ask, are you willing to vigil for that? How badly do you want that? How desperate are you to receive 
a deeper release of the Holy Spirit, really. And, and the answer is, I don't know if we're desperate enough. If we were that, you know when we're going to be that desperate? When we're, that, when we're in that much pain, when we're suffering that much. And honestly, frankly, when we have fallen short through our other efforts. All of our other efforts to tackle circumstances and situations fail. And when that happens, we then, and sadly only then, turn to God and say, help. Jesus has promised us an advocate. Uh, If one of the things that I would love to see in this age is a deeper devotion to the person of the Holy Spirit, to pray for an intimate and more personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. A prayer that we would uh, pray to become like fire, like that spouse of the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother. She's referred to as the definitive, uh, the, the definitive burning bush, no, the definitive theophany uh, of the of the burning bush. <laughs> that uh, she is like the burning bush, right? Consumed but not destroyed. And she is the manifestation of, of, you see the manifestation of God in her because of her intimate, personal, profound, life-giving relationship she has with the Holy Spirit. Why don't you ask her to pray for you? Why don't you ask St. Philip Neri to pray for you? In, this, in these days of Novena to the Holy Spirit. Why don't you print out and pray a Novena to the Holy Spirit with your family? And, and if it's too awkward and foreign for your family to do it, do it on their behalf. Do it in their place. Do it for their sake. It's very fitting that the Feast of Pentecost happens in the month dedicated to our Blessed Mother, almost always. I think there may be some occasions when it doesn't happen in May, but it's pretty rare. Uh, and so it's a beautiful and fitting thing that, Neumann, what am I saying? Yeah, this year it does. It, it can happen into early June, right? But thanks be to God, we have this gift of intimately connecting our devotion to the Blessed Mother with a devotion to the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, just I beg you, give me the grace, give all those listening the grace to enter into these days with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of confident waiting, with a sense of urgent waiting, and a crying out to you, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Jesus, please baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Please, you do it. Just shock us with your generosity. Surprise us with the way that you unleash the power of your Holy Spirit already given to us in baptism and especially in confirmation. Please unleash new gifts, new graces, and new anointings upon us each and all because we want to glorify you and we want to see breakthroughs in our families, in our marriages, in our own lives. We want to be saints. We want to fulfill our God-given mission, but we can't do it without your power and we're not intended to. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Jesus, come and baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless your day.